Hi, this is John Barnes, and you're listening to Cop On. Hello, hello, hello. Welcome back. Welcome back. This is part two of today's Jurgen Spectacular, as uh, inspired by the Anfield Rap's new documentary. I'm delighted, thrilled to be joined by Doug from the Dugout Football Channel, for, by Nigel Cody in Ireland, and by Jack from Anfield Road TV. Absolutely wonderful to have you with us, guys. Um, uh, Doug, have you seen it yet? Have you seen the Jurgen part one on YouTube? Uh, no, actually, I have been too busy uh, involved in work at the moment, so uh, I haven't actually had a chance to have a look at it, but uh, I have heard it is very, very good, so I'll need to give that a watch uh, very, very soon. It's extraordinary. Yeah, I do recommend it. Heartily recommend it. And when you think of Jürgen, Doug, I mean, you know, it's hard to put it into words, isn't it? What he means to people. What, But what does he mean? You know, have you become a better person since Jürgen took over because I honestly think I have even though I'm not far from perfect but I've been I've been on I've been on a road of you know personal improvement if you can if I can be so bold as to say that Mm. think about my life and I try and be positive like Jürgen would you know yeah I don't know I mean I've got to say this that I think we all kind of had a bit of feeling who was going to sort of take over after, you know, the 2015-2016 the season when, you know, Rodgers went after that Everton game. I think we all had a, I think we all had a feeling of a bit of uncertainty who was maybe going to take over. But immediately, I think the names that were on there, like Carlo Ancelotti was on there, Jurgen Klopp was on there. My first thing was Klopp. I was, I was, I wanted Klopp. Um, and I actually just, you know, ever since he's been, in charge it's just been it's been a a roller coaster uh, and it's, it's like we're going on an adventure um and you just don't want it to end and i think we're we're still on this great adventure with, with jürgen we are indeed we are indeed um i've got to i'm having internet problems today i don't know if, if if you can hear me nigel can you hear me is everything okay how what does jürgen mean to you nigel well, it means I stopped wanting to kill Brendan Rodgers for a start. <laughs> he should have been sacked when we got beat 6-1 by Stoke. That was an absolute debacle. Oh my God, I'll never forget it. I was working. And I I met one. I rang one of my friends after the game. I was working downtown at the time. And uh, I, I rang him and I just said, we just got beat 6-1 by Stoke. How can he stay now? So um, it's just what, what he means to me is, <clears throat> well, he... He revolutionised the club again, the same as Shankly, the same as Gerard Houllier when he came. Got rid of the, a lot of the bad Houllier when he came in. Got rid of bad influences within the club, bought in Sammy Hoopier, uh, and, you know, got rid of David James and people like that. And Jorgen did exactly the same thing. Like, Brendan Rodgers' attacking idea of an attacking midfielder, and no disrespect, he did all right, was Joe Allen. But Jorgen, or uh, Rodgers actually bought Bobby Firmino and had no idea what to do with him. Hadn't a clue how to play him. And Jorgen knew Bobby from playing at, when Bobby was at Hoffenheim. And he said, a player I would love to have signed, signed in my time in Germany was Bobby Firmino. And now I'm inheriting him. And look what Bobby's become. I think he has the most appearances under Jorgen as a Liverpool player. And he just became a legend at the club. And it's just the, the, the two for me are tied together. Jorgen and Bobby for Absolutely. me. Absolutely. Absolutely. No, beautifully well said indeed. Um, going back to when, when Brendan... Yeah, I mean, he lost 6-1 to Stoke, as many of you will will remember. He sacked his entire backroom staff in order to keep his job. 
And the signings that um, he brought in that summer, I've got the list in front of me. Well, him stroke the the the, the transfer committee brought in Joe Gomez for three point five million. Great deal, of course. James Milner, one of the best free transfers, if not the best. Uh, though you can argue your Gary Max and your Joel Matips, uh, Danny Ings who was a very smart signing, very unlucky, but a brilliant talent at that age. Adam Bogdan, um, was he the one who kicked the a goal kick out for a corner? I can't remember. Or he let one in from a corner. It was Carrius who kicked a goal kick out from a corner. Unbelievable. Um, so awful. Uh, but Bobby Firmino, £21 million. Nathaniel Klein, £12 million. Bit overpriced, but we needed a right back. Ben Teke was the big disappointment, wasn't it? 32.5 million, uh, plus a couple of kids, Alan, the Brazilian, and Taiwo Awani. Um, Jack, do you remember Brendan leaving? The, you know, because what I didn't remember until I looked up before is um, we lost the semi-final of the FA Cup on the 19th of April 2015, the end of that season, 2-1. We lost to Villa. Big disappointment. But in the six games that followed, the six Premier League games that followed, apart from the Stoke 6-1 uh, Stoke humiliation, we also we had one win against West Brom, Hull City, Queen's Park Rangers, Chelsea away, we managed to get a draw, and we lost to Crystal Palace. Like, Teams, you would expect some some kind of bounce back from defeat, which we get under Jurgen, and we almost take for granted under Jurgen, but it doesn't always go that way. Do you remember Brendan leaving and and how you felt about Klopp coming in? Yeah, sure do, mate. Thank you for having me on the pod. Mate, appreciate it as well. And it was almost like a, a Carragher and Thierry Henry moments for everyone. Like if you're in work or college or wherever, you remember where you were. Um, I think, yeah, I was with my mum in the house there, quite literally. Um, shopping, doing a bit of shopping as well. After the game, um, nipped out to the, to the house because I couldn't bear staying in the house anymore. I was like, get out, do something. Because <laughs> it's absolutely human. Um, it, a joyous time as well. Obviously, you've got to respect or just what, what he done, but it was for me, I felt he was massively out of his depth. Um, and that's one thing when as soon as Pierre can give that interview that we all remember, um, he promised that he would have won at least a league title in the space of the, the time frame in which he said and just when you listen to obviously Brendan, it's chalk and cheese with him and Jürgen Klopp, you listen and you don't understand. Of course, Rogers understood the game, but when you listen to Jürgen, it's it's like going into another universe. The way in which he describes the philosophy in Germany as well as experiences a title, double title winner in the Bundesliga as well prior to his move. And you listen to the Brendan Rodgers time, the, the, that, as, as you've already alluded to, that, that span of games. Our good mate Ant, obviously the Leicester fan we know, uh, big up Ant, I warned them before even signed him you'd listen to Rodgers and you'd fall asleep he wasn't a man that would inspire a group of 20 odd men in the changing room that would give a round loud and like big as up really but Jürgen Klopp for me the way I describe him would be home I don't know why but he, he, he's he gets everyone galvanised he'll accept everyone really and as as long as similar like Adam Lallana I think that's why Jürgen 
has a quite a big affiliation and obviously to to them like you know, as long as you give 110 percent obviously certain players they lack certain qualities on a football pitch but regardless as long as you try and improve and want to improve i think jürgen klopp will very much take you under the wing and that's why we've seen quite a couple of players under jürgen's tenure the last couple of years stay that extra bit longer because they've give what he's give to the squad and I think that's very much a, a big characteristic because you know um, he's a father figure to me but I think he's home to me mate. like um, love it I love it I love it absolutely I mean Jürgen came in the effect was pretty much immediate I mean I remember us getting it was nil nil his first game against Tottenham away to Tottenham uh, which is a result I would take uh, today to be honest uh, and it was just the way that immediately we weren't giving up huge chances. Um, he didn't get his first win until his fourth game. So he had 0-0, 1-1 with Ruben Kazan, 1-1 with Southampton, and then a 1-0 victory over Bournemouth. But game number five was a 3-1 away win at Chelsea. And a lot of absolute nonsense has been uh, spouted uh, since... Jürgen took over regarding other managers of other teams, such as Ten Hag, such as, you know, United were doing it with Ole Gunnar Solskjaer, comparing Klopp to Solskjaer, which is, you know, it's like comparing, you know, the, the Mona Lisa with some Ikea wallpaper or something, isn't it? Um, Doug, the, the way that he immediately galvanised the team was evident, regardless of the fact that we only had two wins from his first five games. There was something immediately brewing there. And game number eight was the 4-1 away win against Manchester City. It's not supposed to be possible to go to Manchester City and win 4-1. But he did it on game number eight. So, you, what do you remember about his impact or any of those games? Yeah, I, I can obviously remember the Manchester City game. Um, that is our last Premier League victory there. Um, it's been a long <laughs> time since we won it there to had. So, you know, it's been, you know that 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 game in particular, we we just dominated from start to finish. I can remember, I can remember all the goals. I remember there was like a. Like one where Bobby Firmino like walked into the net after like I think about fifteen or sixteen passes. You had Coutinho scoring um past uh, Joe Hart. You had Martin Skirtle scoring past Joe Hart as well. It was just one of those. It was just one of those crazy, crazy games where four one. It could have been could have been five. Could have been six. Could have been seven. But you could have you could see then, and you could probably see from the start of that season that uh or the start of ten of Klopp's tenure, I should say, you could quite clearly see the impact was imminent. Everyone was playing to his ideas. Um, everyone was coming across him as well. And, you know, that Chelsea game as well, we, we were fantastic. That, I think that was the, that was obviously the season that obviously Leicester won the league and obviously Mourinho was sacked um, as Chelsea manager as well. So I, I do, I do kind of remember that, but those wins at Chelsea and City were definitely the highlights of that season. Well, the highlights of that season is debatable, Tuck, because there are actually a few that had slipped my mind. Um, but we're going to talk about a couple of them. Nigel, for example, Norwich 4, Liverpool 5. Or, well, no, let's just talk about that for a while. That was yeah, amazing. It was. It was. It showed frailty, but then it showed heart and determination as well. Just go back to your previous question for one second. 
about him galvanising the team. He did that, but his first interview, interview, I'm saying he more galvanised the fans. Do you remember what he said? <clears throat> he said, who could forget? There's, there's the special one, he said. I'm the normal one. Instant rapport with the fans because Scousers and Liverpool fans in general are normal, everyday people. No airs or graces, simple as that. Perfect. I would have hated having Mourinho. People were saying to me back in the, before Benitez took over, we should get Mourinho. And I said, no, I cannot stand him. He's too arrogant. And that just doesn't come into our reckoning. Then we got Benitez and we know what happened there. But anyway, back to the 5-4. Uh, some pretty woeful defending. Like your man scoring the back heel, the centre back, he'd never do it again. Um, Bassong scoring a goal from the edge of the box that he wouldn't even do in training, I'd say, most of the time. Just a big wild slash. Um, but then... <laughs> Like, we scored some good goals that day. Leilana got a bit of a bouncer, but you get a little bit of luck, I suppose, at the end. Um, I think, uh, did Bobby get two that day? The second and third, I think. I believe so, but I can't remember. Yeah, Doug, and, Doug and Jack are nodding, the, the yeah. wisely nodding, yes. Yeah. Did we score first that day? Or did they score first? I can't remember. Yeah, we scored I first. Think- we yeah, scored I first because Bobby Firmino scored first. Yes. They were yes. 3-1 up, weren't they? Stephen Naismith got a couple of goals. God, yeah. <clears throat> and, uh, yeah, that screamer from Basson was in injury time. And yeah, then, of yeah. course, also yeah. in injury time. Yeah. Adam Lallana got the winner tops off, running towards Jürgen, breaking his glasses. That's the point, I think, when Jürgen decided he needed eye surgery. <laughs> well, yeah, exactly. Maybe, yeah. It's because it's too wild. It was such a beautiful thing. What a brilliant, brilliant feeling. Um, you know, last-minute winners are just something under Klopp. You know, I think I think it's correct that we've had more last-minute winners than any other team since he since he took over in the Premier League, and I believe it. Um, another great highlight for that season when he actually said his famous boom uh meme that was after um we actually lost the league cup final on penalties to manchester city and if you compare the brendan rogers you know um you know what do you call it wilting you know the falling apart after losing the semi-final of the fa cup the year before we lost on penalties unluckily in the league cup final to city and then we played them at anfield the next game and we won three nil and it was that performance that Klopp was like boom and he was already focus he wasn't whining about the past which liverpool have been guilty of for so many years in the 90s and the you know two, 2000s you know just like lamenting taking too long to recover we hammered city then we beat palace away 2-1 then we knocked manchester united out of europe jack what do you remember about that? Oh, a lot. Like the Coutinho little chip over the gear. Um, <laughs> the silence. You could have dropped a, a pin in Old Trafford. It, uh, it shut them up and all you could hear was the, all the scouts in the away and all the Liverpool fans from around the world that descended on Manchester that evening. And it was tremendous. And uh, is it the, we, that was the only time we've ever... Is it the only time we've ever fought Manchester United in the Europa League or European fixture? So, yes. yeah, it was a special, very special occasion anyway um it was amazing mate and it's 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 that 
it's the way in which I love Owen uh, lads as well. It's the, the way in which, as he's alluded to there, boys, he's never one to just relax and accept. He's always forward looking, and I think that's the, that is very much represents the city as well. In, in terms of Liverpool, we always try and look to the positive side, and we don't rest on our laurels. Uh, regardless of what happens we always try and look to the future and look to the positives as well and even to a point is you know, probably the way in which Jürgen Klopp identifies transfers as well or whatnot or football uh, every setback Liverpool have had we've always overcome them and done better and that's probably why we've won our first league title under Jürgen Klopp in 30 odd bloody years it, it, if there was one manager to do it it was Jürgen because as, as Nigel said, he, he reset the fan base as well to a certain point of doubters to believers. But even when we've doubted, Jürgen's never doubted. He's always picked us up, picked us up again and got us up again. So, yeah, uh, but yeah, special memory. <laughs> Great point. Nigel, you wanted to come in. I wanted to have a little say on that transfer thing because... I think it was Rogers. When we sold Luis Suarez, what did he buy? No disrespect to the lad, but Ricky Lambert and whoever else he bought after that. Jorgen, with transfers, identifies weak spots. He identified our goalkeeping position as a weak spot. He identified centre-back as a weak a weak spot. He identified an extra striker as a weak spot. Went out and bought Sadio Mane. Then he bought Virgil van Dijk. And then waited when Coutinho went and ended up buying Alison, Alison Becker and Virgil van Dijk. Not... <coughs> kind of trying to find these bargain strikers and or whatever this transfer committee were on at the time and saying, no, oh, Ricky Lambert might do his job for us. I'm sure he's a lovely lad, Scouser and all that, but just no. It's a very good point. It's a very good point. Although Jürgen was much more patient than I would have been uh, with Dayan Lovren, uh, but a great moment, Doug, a great moment. I mean, I, I'm wrong, you know, like I'm often wrong. Um, he was absolutely right. Because one of the great moments of that season, his first uh, you know, season, wasn't even a full season in charge, was, of course, Degsy um, at the back stick from a Jimmy Milner cross. Liverpool 4, Dortmund 3. Uh, talk to me about that. Oh, that, that game was... I mean, we, we, we've, we've had some memorable, memorable, memorable games on the club, but that, that has to be up there in the top 10, at least. I mean... To go 2-0 down in the way we did, like Aubameyang, Aubameyang was just something else that season for, for, for Dortmund. We, we knew then that Aubameyang was very, very good. But to go down 2-0 at halftime, which, okay, you know, 2-0 down, it's, it's disappointing. It's disappointing. We're 3-1 three, three, one, three, one down uh, then. To then be going 2-1, obviously, um, Origi scoring, which was, was obviously good, good to see. Then Marco Royce, one of the best players I think we've seen at Anfield for a long, long time. 3-1. Um, and then, obviously, Coutinho gets one back, 3-2. Sacco gets one to make it 3-3. And then, yeah, just Degsy Lovren at the the back stick. It's just, it's just, it's just amazing night. And uh, and then we, we, we were still... We didn't know if the, like, the full-time whistle was going. And then they get a free kick right on the edge of the box. Gundogan takes it and it hits the side net. And you're like... Phew. <laughs> um, but yeah, that for me was just an amazing night. Um, and one one of many amazing nights that we have had under Jurgen Klopp. Totally. We're going to talk about as many as we can, as many as time will allow us. Um, and, uh, you know, it's, it's one of those times where, you know, I was literally jumping up and down with joy i i can't just watch these things i'm sure you know you guys on the call now and people listening at home wherever you are 
just bringing that feeling of a, a last minute winner in front of the cup in Europe to knock out a fabulous team like Dortmund. It was just so much joy. Um, it was absolutely terrific. And after Suarez left, I doubted, you know, well, not doubted that we would ever feel the joy again, but like wondered when that joy would come back. Because as Nigel was saying, you know, signing Ricky Lambert and Balotelli was the other one. And it was like clear from the outset, like the Christian Benteke signing, that it's just not going to work. Like the Andy Carroll signing. It's just like, we're, we're the fans. We're not supposed to know anything. But you ask any fan what we thought of that, and we would have just said, what are you doing, guys? But anyway, um, there was another great... I mean, there were there were a few other, you know, great moments in that season. But, um, you know, coming back from losing the Europa semi-final first leg against Villarreal 1-0, we then won 3-0 at Anfield. But then, um, unfortunately, we, we lost the final to Sevilla, despite Daniel Sturridge's amazing and unforgettable goal. Uh, but let's uh, talk about, let's move on to his first full season in charge. So we had no Europe. Um, we got to a League Cup semi-final, losing to Southampton. Uh, but 16-17 will be remembered for the year that he brought in uh, Jeannie Vijnaldum and uh, Sadio Mane, of course. Nigel and the Sadio Mane effect. I looked at his stats earlier, and uh, I mentioned it in the conversation I had with with Neil Atkinson. It's around about from memory, two hundred and fifty odd games and a hundred and twenty odd goals or something. I'll, I'll try and find it, but it's not. It's nothing to do with the stats, is it? With Sadio Mane, it's just about remembering. He was. Fucking brilliant for us, Nigel. That's the only way I can say it. I love the guy so much. <laughs> what a blinding goal on his debut against Arsenal. The 4-3 yes. win. Put his 4-1 up. It was brilliant. <laughs> Just before I continue on Sadio, the other key position that we that Jorgen changed and had to change was Alberto Moreno. He cost us that UEFA final. He was absolutely shocking. I've seen dustbins that were better positioned in sense than him. Absolute rubbish. My God, he was so bad that day. Anyway, back to good players. Sadio Mane, exceptional. Absolutely exceptional. People were people were saying to him, oh, 30 million for, for Sadio Mane. He ain't worth that. He's worth 10 times that. He was outstanding. One of the key elements of Jurgen Klopp's reign, Sadio Mane, definitely. Huge, huge. And, you know, I remember, I will always remember, as we all will, you know, just the beautiful moments. That goal against Everton. Uh, off the post from Sturridge and Sadio Mane. I mean, I'll, I'll talk to you about that. I think that was that season, wasn't it? Was that was that the same season? Or are you getting ahead of, ahead of myself? It was that season. Doug's nodding. He's the he's the, he knows these things. So yeah, it was the same season. Sturridge hitting the post. There's a flare on the pitch, a blue flare, because they thought they celebrating a famous nil nil draw at the old lady, and Jack. Up comes Sadio Mane following it through. There was a wonderful image of Lovren coming through the mist with his arms outstretched like some kind of phantom genius uh, just to hug Sadio because that was some moment. But being a scouser, Jack, that must have been extra special. Still wind them up to this day anyway. He still haven't uh, recovered, <laughs> especially from the crossbar goal. Bloody hell. We haven't got there yet, but we'll get there. <laughs> um, 
yeah, it's special, mate. And uh, it was it. That was I think that was the time where like on social media the meme started the year again after that game in and around that period for to be social media savvy or with the new kids in the block anyway, keeping with the kids. Um, but yeah, it was like it was like it was like loads of memes going around on social media. I sent them all to me mates anyway. Um, it's like the blue noses are fuming after that game, and they very much were um a hundred percent. But yeah, special moments like that, mate, and it's it, it's moments like that that we will look back on hopefully with very fond memories. We all will. Um, obviously that's and that's why we've just got to live in the moments. Every single second of the eight o'clock football, we never know when it will end. Obviously. Bob and obviously Bill Shankly eventually left us. So um, it's just those little moments and obviously the moments which we're all discussing the next couple hours to come anyway. But yeah, that was very, that was uh, celebrated well and truly into the week, not the night, but the week and it probably sound, the year. It sounds like, as well. sounds like you're still celebrating a bit. <laughs> <Yeah>. Absolutely. <laughs> you know. They're very bitter, as we know. <laughs> <laughs> it can't help the bitterness. Yes, absolutely. Um, yeah, uh, and uh, Nigel, you were talking about Merry Christmas Everton. Oh, yeah, that was that came from that match, didn't it? Yeah, Merry Christmas Everton. Wow, what a song! What a song. Um, as for the rest of that season 16 17, we got a glimpse of what was to come, Doug. And again, the feeling amongst all of us was that it, there's something big building here even though we were out of europe you could see week by week we were we were playing some great stuff we actually got 11 wins and two draws out of 13 around about october november time and you could see what clock was building and but it all came to a head at the end of that season i'm going to jump to the end of that season the most important game one of the most important games in Jurgen Klopp's tenure yeah, yeah it was uh was middlesbrough yeah, at yes. the end of the season. Oh, I don't know if you can hear some explosions. There's some kind of military enactment going on. Blimey. Um, uh, <laughs> can, can you hear that? They're like there is, There's like explosions going on outside my window. Maybe my mic is cutting it. For Ever, Everton are playing away, are they? I was going to say. Yes, I think maybe, maybe yeah. they're listening into the you, conversation. Usually do that outside the air. Uh, for anyone that's not in Liverpool, you usually <laughs> set off uh, fireworks on the away team uh, oh yes yes they do yes i mean you know what tactics excellent uh but uh no the last game of the season genie vinealdum smashing it in the top corner in injury time of the first half doug do you remember that match how what was going through your mind then yeah that was a that was a very very nervy game uh i think we we took a we took a while to get, sort of get going you know, when I saw Nathaniel Klein sort of going forward, like Jeannie Van Elden like picks it up and my first moment is does he pass it to his left or do he does he pass it to his right? But he, he just goes for it, he wellies into the, the back of the net. And I think then it's kind of a bit more like relief because we knew then that when and it's Champions League football, uh, you know, draw or lose and then, you know, I think Arsenal think get get or or something like that. Uh, but the second goal was the clincher for me, the, the Coutinho free kick. And, you know, Coutinho had a knack of scoring from set pieces and you know, that was one of them. And then Adam Molana again, another another passing, pass, 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 move, move, move goal um, as well. So that was 3-0 as well. So after that game, it was just a sense of actual relief that we knew we got, you know, we got Champions League football. Um, and I think then, you know, Obviously, what happens next is just, well, 
you know, we get a get a certain Egyptian, don't we? We sort of get Egyptian king in um, in that summer. So what what all happened next is uh, they say is history. Yeah, wonderful stuff. Well, a great answer. And um, Nigel saying in the chat that um, that uh, I may have got the timing wrong. It wasn't first half injury time. It was the first minute of the second half when Vian Adam. Uh, hit that ball in um yeah i mean these things i'm likely to get you know a few details wrong as we go along but you know one thing that uh is definitely right is our lineup for that for that crucial champions league deciding match it was against arsenal you're right doug uh we had simon Mignolet in goal uh lovren klein matip and milner in defense remember when milner played an entire season at left back that was that season and then in midfield, we had Vianeldum, Lalana, Coutinho, and Emre Chan with Sturridge and Firmino up front. So there was something building. He wasn't quite there yet, but what did, what did we need? We needed more pace. We needed more goals. We got the man, Mo Salah, as Doug said. Um, Nigel, Mo Salah. Um, is he still underrated for you? Because for me, he is, because not everyone is treating him like some you know like a footballing god which is what he is not everyone treats him that way even to this day and i don't get it they're only jealous simple as that um he is he's an absolute genius um to to have the scoring record he has and like if you go past, look at the people he's gone past who have played like like ronaldo like we all worship all, all these lads going in on well we worship ronaldo and this kind of crap going on he's gone past ronaldo in like i don't know how many less games 150 or 160 less games and ronaldo's supposed to be the greatest thing since slice sliced he his scoring record most Salah's scoring record is up there with anybody that includes alan shearer who's the greatest premier league goal scorer of all time and he's not he's not a striker he came in as a winner and then was instantly branded a chelsea reject as with everybody else 30 million for Sadio is too much. Who's this Firmino fella from half a nine, 29 million? 36 million is too much for this 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 uh, reject from Chelsea who couldn't score goals at Chelsea. So, no, massively underrated. He is indeed. He is indeed. And it's uh, and it's beautiful. I mean, the Mo Salah moments are, are plentiful, but, um, you know, it's like I've been saying for many years, it's it, the thing I love as well as just the strength of the guy. You know, he's an absolute titan with his strength, holding off people despite being shorter than the most of the time. Um, but, you know, just able to hold anybody off, two, three people at times. But the thing I love is his, his, his awareness of space. So whereas Neymar will dribble past or try and dribble past two or three players and then dive and then, you know, maybe lose the ball. And then one in three or four times he dribbles past them and everyone goes, wow, look at that. Did you see that fancy trick? Mo Salah will just kick the ball into the space and go into the space, you know, not like a kick and rush sense. We've great control, but just understanding that you don't need the fancy damn nonsense you just need to be effective and he's effective he's efficient he's a surgeon he's going to make arsenal. pardon the ball against arsenal the fast break on the edge of the box headed oh, the ball man. Man. Goals. absolutely brilliant he's, that was his third goal that was in perfect season. example of what you're saying yeah totally totally so this was 17 18 um 
Coutinho, I, I want to talk about though, Jack. I want to talk about Coutinho because he left in January. I'll never forget. He played 20 games for us. He had 10 goals and 12 assists that season. He was finding Mo Salah, who was making all these clever runs. And he was under Jurgen Klopp, who was, he was the cleverest manager in the world. And he went and did the stupid thing of buggering off. And now he can't get in the Villa team. And uh, his career has, has gone down the toilet since then. But Coutinho leaving in January and then bringing Virgil in. I mean, there was a there was a moment where it wasn't official that Coutinho was leaving. We'd already signed Virgil. And there was a moment where I thought maybe we could keep Phil and have Virgil. Um, was that ever on the cards for you, Jack? I mean, you know, do 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 you miss Phil? Do you you know his contribution? Just like a pain in your back, in it really. Like it's so pain. <laughs> Sorry, Phil. Um, it was all still going. But I never begrudge him, mate. As I said, South American players, we all know their desire to either play for one of the two big teams in Europe, in in La Liga, anyway. Um, he wanted that was his dream. He's lived it. Um, he went. He went to Bayern Munich, won the Champions League when he was on loan there. Um, he's had a bit of a mad turn of events, really, but it would never have transpired. Well, you never know. Um, but he, his transfer massively financed the two big players, as we mentioned. So I never hold grudges. He would have repaid his faith last season if he actually stayed on the pitch and Gerard left him on because he was absolutely battering City at the Etihad, as we know. And uh, Stevie does Stevie things. Um, <laughs> But yeah, it, it, it was it was mad because that period when we had Phil, obviously we brought him from Inter Milan, uh, well, I think it was Inter Milan, a young kid, and he'd flourished in the Liverpool side that wasn't necessarily hitting the heights in which we do see now. He was that, it was almost that point of, oh, we, he was tremendous. The things he used to do, him and Sturridge, Dylan could play, um, ridiculous, so uh, obviously reminiscing the times when we had Torres and Gerrard, all those moments, and it's like, it's, we're very blessed now that we've more or less got world-class players in every area of the pitch now, but that never used to be the case pre-Jürgen Klopp anyway. It was always like we had three, four, five world-class players, but never a whole squad. And it was always like, oh, everyone knew Phil's quality. And I'd say to a certain extent, we haven't fully, fully replaced Coutinho in terms of that player from the edge of the box in midfield that could break the line, someone that could score from the edge of the box. I think that, that area of Phil's game potentially still needs to potentially Bellingham we'll, we'll, we'll cross to that bridge when we get there uh, but yeah <laughs> I, I loved Phil I, I think we all did but he, he wanted to go and and we all applaud him for what he did anyway at the club anyway I'll never be sour grapes at the time of course but when you think about it um, just let the lads enjoy his football and that and that's one aspect that Jürgen, I love about Jürgen. He's a, very much a family man, but he gets players, obviously being a player himself. At his time at Mainz, he, he'll never stay, stand in front of a player. And people have said he's too loyal to certain players, but he's only loyal to the players that have been loyal to him. He's never, he, he knows if you get on the wrong side of him, he, he doesn't suffer fools gladly. And we've seen, the, and we know the players that have very much left the football club under difficult circumstances, Mick. But yeah, all the best to Phil, but special memories yeah i mean we can remember loads of loads of great moments from phil yeah look on the bright side of his career yeah as you say no need to carry sour grapes through and we could talk about yeah when 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 jürgen first came into the club as well talking about dropping players i mean you know the way that he got rid of sacco was 
really important, I think, for the psychology of the team. Because it's like, you know, imagine you've got this team where you had Brendan Rodgers and no one really took him seriously at the end, probably. And, uh, you know, and then Jürgen came in and then sort of established himself as like, you know, all right, I'm the boss around here. You know, you do what I say or you go and find someone else to work for, you know. Um, but jump back to this season, 1718, it's January big verges there just after christmas um by the christmas tree signing for liverpool he makes his debut on the 5th of january 2018 doug um scoring the winner to knock everton out of the fa cup on his debut that was fun wasn't it that's just the best sort of way to introduce yourself uh 75 million pounds very well spent um scoring against the the blue shite uh, uh anfield in front of the cop there's no better way to announce yourself and i remember that game as well like we absolutely battered them uh and it was a case of oh no it's like as is the uh, is is the fact that we were missing so many chances that they're going to cost us? Because I remember when Sigurdsson scored, I was like, "Oh no, this is going to be one one. We're going to go back to Goodison Park." And then all of a sudden, that corner comes in, and Virgil jumps above everybody to head home. It was just just the perfect way to to announce yourself as a as as a Liverpool player. And you know, as as we say, Virgil has just been a revelation. At the back, he has completely galvanized our back line. Um, and yeah, just to obviously go on the, the Sacco point, which was I think Sacco always gave me butterflies. I don't know if anybody else feels felt that way, but Sacco always gave me butterflies whenever he played. Um, his, his touch reminded me a bit of the a little bit of Lukaku. Uh, I didn't think anyone had had such a a bad first touch uh, than uh, than Lukaku, but I think Sacco was pretty very close to uh, uh, to that. Uh, but to be fair, to be fair to Sacco, he did actually pop up with a few uh, a few important goals for the for the for the club. But I just felt that we needed someone who was calm as a calm as a cucumber. Um, and I just felt that once we got Virgil, I thought, yeah. This player is going to be amazing, but as I said, what a way to introduce yourself to the Anfield faithful by scoring the winner against the Blue Shite. Could not be perfect. Yeah, I mean, it was absolutely wonderful. And then we followed that up by beating Man City again, 4-3 at Anfield. Um, Nigel, we... You know, we went. We also beat them, of course, with two wins uh, in the Champions League that season. Three nil at home, and then two nil away. Klopp said himself, "You're not supposed to be able to beat Man City five one, but we did it." But before that, the, the the game that really, for me, established us back among contenders, people to be taken very seriously in Europe, Nigel, was the 5-0 away win against Porto. Uh, a British side had never won there, as far as I remember. They had never won there in Europe in about 15 goes or whatever, whatever the stat was at the time. We turned up and it was easy, Nigel. It was easy. We made a mockery of everybody, including me, who thought it would be difficult 
remember taking them apart um, and it, it, it looked easy. We looked really, really good on the night and they just couldn't handle the movement up front. They just couldn't handle the boys up front. It's as simple as that. They just It was the same in the second leg. I think the second leg was two, three, was it? I think, and they just couldn't. I remember somebody passed the ball from the middle and if you look at the, the long range picture from behind the Annie, the Annie Road goal in one of the games, it passed the ball through the, through the between the centre-back and the full-back channel and when Mo's running onto the ball you can see Virgil in the background with his hands in the air like that already celebrating the goal and Mo just slides it down past the goalkeeper it was just just what the, what the song came to say poetry in motion totally absolutely yeah and that Virgil celebration became you know something of a something of a theme he still does it he's celebrating he knows it's going in that ball um so yeah we we got through to the final of course that season um in Kiev and unfortunately uh as Doug's saying, I'm surprised we haven't had a restraining order from Porto. Absolutely, Doug, yeah. Uh, but uh, no, yeah, um, so we got through to the final, of course, but the semi-final against Roma, that was another very special evening. Um, two, go- two goals by Mo, one from Sadio and two by Bobby. It was the front three, peak front three. I've never seen a player hit the actual top corner as mo did that night the actual top corner i've watched i don't know how many thousands of football games around the world but to hit the actual top corner i've only seen it once mo did it in that semi-final of course we lost the two late goals and that made it a little bit more not nervy at all but just like it took the gloss off the win but Jack, that was amazing. That was amazing. I don't know you lads feel or anyone listening as well. That was probably close to one of the most perfect games of football a football player could play that Salah played that night. I don't know how that ranks on everyone's list, but I think that was one of my favourite Salah performances. It was late and, and the fact that we banged all them past our uh, future number one, uh, Ali Becker anyway. Um, then it's funny how, how, how football does work in reality. Um, but yeah, special nights, mate. And it was probably those that night that a lot of us, as, as we've all been craving them since the 70s and 80s as well. I've listened to my dad tell the stories of so many great European nights. And that was very much, especially for the, the newer generation of Liverpool fans, I'm only 27 myself anyway, but it's obviously, I remember 05, but not properly as it did like now. Like it's, it's, it's them nights that are go down in folklore. And then we had a couple of years later, we remember that semi, one we'll, jumped we'll, we'll jump the gun there. But it was those moments that are very much propelled and to give Jürgen the experience, most importantly, as we said. Obviously, yes, we didn't lay in the final, but everything we, Jürgen Klopp, as we've already alluded to tonight, is a lane curve. It gives... Liverpool's fans and most importantly Jürgen Klopp that pre-vision really of what he wanted and, and it's been a reminiscence of what Jürgen's career has been setbacks at Mainz setbacks at Dortmund he's always knew how to get over that and he's as we said he's not a manager to rest on his laurels or whinge or whatnot he'll get to the end goal by some by some way but yeah special moments mate and we're very blessed to have Jürgen at the helm and obviously these players most importantly as well Totally. Yeah, really well said, because it, it, obviously we lo- lost that final tragic circumstances, really. Well, tragic's too much, but, you know, like very like heartbreaking for, for Loris Karius more than anyone. Um, and uh, we replaced him with Alison Becker, bounced back the next season, dug 97 points, which wasn't enough to win the league, which is so unlucky and so like... 
oh, like it's still disappointing because they deserved it compared to City, who just like they just bought everything, you know, they just bought the you know best players and paid for, you know, and they got extremely lucky. City were so lucky to beat us by a point, but of course, still you bounce back from that to win the Champions League. But along the way, that Champions League, that whole season we could talk for ages about, but I'm not going to. I'm just going to talk about two games. Doug, you're going to get Barcelona. You're lucky, man. It's just the way the cookies crumbled this evening. Barcelona, just quickly for me, I was with my friend Loic, a French guy. I used to watch games with him. He was a football fan, big PSG fan. We were watching the game together at his place and um after Divock scored the corner taking quickly goal i literally couldn't speak um i, I watched i watched the diane lovren game also with my mate lowick and that was the one where i was running around but with Divock, i was stood up and i was stunned into silence and it wasn't in, until 10 minutes after the game I was able to talk again. Um, what did you do, Doug? What do you remember about Barcelona? What a night. I mean, that, that game, like, we had no Salah, we had no Firmino, we lost Robertson at half-time as well. Uh, Van Alden comes on and, you know, scores scores two fantastic goals. But to start with Shakiri, Origi uh, and Mane. Um, now, Shakiri hadn't started a lot. Shakiri hadn't started a lot that season, but... When he did, he always had a, a good, good enough performance to, to, to go with that. But that game, like, it is probably one of the greatest m- nights I think I've ever witnessed as a Liverpool supporter. It was just so good, so good to watch that game. Um, obviously, you get the early early goal. Origi, um, great play from Henderson, saved by Ter Stegen, and, you know, obviously Origi scores. But, and Alden scored the, that night as well. Like the the first one, basically Trent plays him in and he he scores past Sir Stegen, and then he's up like a salmon. He he heads from a Shakiri cross, and then I'm like, what is going on? This is this is just something something else. Um, and then yeah, kind of ticking. I mean, there's loads of stories about that because Oakley Cannonier, I think I pronounced that right. He's now obviously playing for the under 18s on the 21s. He was a ball boy that night. It's, you know, it's just it's just it's just wonderful, wonderful stories that 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 that, that, that game can kind of you know bring bring back to you. But uh no, that, that game was just incredible. Um and I have to say as well that we we kind of knew that Barcelona were prone to like big, big comebacks like that. Like you remember the they lost 4-0 to PSG. I think they lost 3-0 to Roma, I think, the, the, the previous season. So they always had a bit of a like a comeback like on them. You always had the feeling that you, you, you would get there. But, yeah, to, to win 4-0, to absolutely dominate them from start to finish. Um, and even we saw like Arthur Melo that night as well. It was just everything about that game was just absolutely perfect. And then... To obviously go on to the you know the final against uh, against Tottenham and then obviously the next again day they have their you know big comeback. Let's just say that the eighteen nineteen Champions League season was the was the basically the comeback of all comebacks. Spurs went against Ajax, us went against Barcelona. It was certainly the season of comebacks in that season. Oh, absolutely wonderful! What great memories and you know people are. 
Nigel and, and, and Jack are in the chat as well. What what were you saying, Jack, about the Scouse lad? Uh, obviously, it was only until like after the game had finished, or like it was all over social media. The Scouse lad that stuck the fingers up to Messi, like running <laughs> across. It was like some Argentinian lad from Barcelona. <laughs> it's just like the greatest ever player to have a greatest football fish. <laughs> Gets uh, flipped, up, flipped off by some uh, scallion and shraggy anyway. <laughs> brilliant man of a match absolutely fantastic the hendo shuffle came out we saw it for the first time the hendo shuffle and i watched it today actually i watched that 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 trophy lift today again it's so emotional and that's the thing like i'm almost i'm almost welling up talking about it but like those scenes with henderson and his dad and Klopp was in tears and Virgil was in tears as well. I'd forgotten that until I saw it back today. And it's the thing with Jürgen is that we're not afraid to play with this emotion. We use the emotion as fuel these days under Jürgen. And it's such a powerful weapon. What do you remember about the final? Don't forget the, yeah, Nigel. You mean, okay, what do I remember? I remember being out with my friends that night and hoping it wouldn't be repeated the previous year. And then we got the penalty earlier on. And I had 20 quid on Mo Salah that scored the first goal. I got double the odds on him as well when he scored. Um, <laughs> I just whispered to my friend when he scored, I said, he's got double odds on Mo for first goal. I think he was 3-1. I had 20 quid and I got 6-1 to one on him. It was great. Um, but yeah, um, I remember us then. I remember Spurs not having a shot at the 71st minute. Um, and then they had a few and Ali made a couple of good saves. And then when Origi scored, turning to my friend and just saying to him, that's it, we won. When the second goal went in. And there was a, I was I was in my local at this stage. And there was a guy there who came in to watch the game that night. And uh, he said to me after the game, he'd watched some of the game beside us. And we'd been kind of a bit of dialogue here and there. And he said to me after the game, one of the best nights I ever had, I said, thank He said to me, thanks for that. We just gave him a big hug leg and we just had a really good night. And haven't seen, haven't seen the guy since, no idea who he is. I have a picture on my phone uh, of me and three of my friends. The three of us played under eight football together. We're all about the same age. And we always try and get a picture where we win something. There's the three of us or the four of us. And there's a picture of the four of us in the pub when we'd won. And it's, it's one of my favourite pictures. Fantastic. Yeah. Fantastic. Great. Yeah. Absolutely wonderful, absolutely wonderful. And Jack, you were you you, you were saying you, you you were in tears when Divock scored. Yeah, I think it was just a re- release of emotion. Um, that's what Liverpool does to all of us, mates. I think every single one of us, wherever you're watching as well, like or listening, like it's special. And as we said, which speaking about Jürgen Klopp, that's why it makes it so much more enjoyable. Jürgen, he's a very emotional coach, and he's very open about that. And it was almost like obviously it's, it's, he's only going to manage certain clubs, Mainz, Dortmund, Liverpool, and even whatever happens post Liverpool. Um, yeah, special moments, mate. And I was more happy. There's the fact that obviously at the back of the league we'd missed out, and as Nigel said, uh, there's one team you can't lose to it's Spurs in the Champions League final. <laughs> like, and, and the fact that is like it's it's Spurs in it, but it's an English side as well. You would never would have heard the, the end of it anyway, and uh, that's why it would have been interesting if we actually fa- faced Man City last year. Whatever would have happened, but I'm pretty sure. We'll eventually get there one year when it's just us two battling it out for the Europeans' biggest prize. But yeah, special moments, mate. And as Nigel said, there's probably loads. Like everyone, you were kissing, hugging everyone on that night. You didn't even know who you were. But that's what Liverpool does to is you get you bloody more than giddy. You're absolutely running around. I wish we could all bottle that emotion on the night after that final whistle. Like that is what life is all about. That's what supporting Liverpool is all about. Um, if we could have that every week. 
we'll be bloody on cloud nine. Um, but we're very fortunate that we do support a football club that gives us those nights on a very regular occurrence. And you, you, you wouldn't think it on social media some nights when you're like, well, my head's, my head's rolling down to bacon head or something like it's yeah you wouldn't think that but we are very blessed you, you can go a very long time in football like 100 years of the football club's history and you won't find one european night as good as we've had in our illustrious 130 year history yeah absolutely absolutely yeah we're going to keep talking about this uh this european season for a little bit because uh you know doug you wanted to come in and say something about spurs making the big tactical mistake is that right yeah I actually remember. Uh, I actually remember, right? Obviously, watching this game, and all the talk was, "Will, will Harry Kane be fit? Will Harry Kane be fit?" And I remember that as soon as Harry Kane sort of went on the pitch, I thought, "Yeah, he's not match fit." Spurs made a big, big error. Like Pochettino's made his biggest, biggest error as Spurs manager. He, he he didn't have the bottle to not start Harry Kane in that final. He didn't start Lucas Moura. Who, Lucas Moura? Look, I think um, he should have started that final, but. I actually remember being in a well. Actually, the the start of that game, uh, I was actually on uh, Strawberry Line Copperbergs. By the time Origi scored that second goal, I was on the Champers. So I had probably four, <laughs> five glasses of champagne after that. After that, uh, after that goal from Origi, but it was just it's just memories that that come back to you. But I honestly feel that Pochettino made a big, big error that night, not starting Lucas Moura ahead of Harry Kane. Yeah, totally. I I remember at the time I felt exactly the same. I was like, Kane is starting. Yes, exactly. I was sort of had a little mini celebration to myself because it was so important after Klopp had lost five or six finals in a row in all competitions and that and all that with with Dortmund as well. It was such an important win. It was so crucial that we got, got over the line, and we did through courage and that conviction and like a typical Klopp win in a way you know with great defending um yeah uh Nigel you want to say something uh, you had a story about a Barcelona game yeah um well I was after the Barcelona the day after the first leg or a couple of days I think it was uh, I don't know whether it was Tuesday or Wednesday night I was going down and I had to do lotto and in the place where I used to do the lotto was a bookies and the, the manager's a Man United fan knew I was going to get it. So I walked in and I was doing my lotto and I walked up to the counter and I go, oh, Nigel, what happened the other night? You know, kind of, ah, oh, yeah, yeah. Do you see that? He said He said to me, ah, oh, one for the good guys. So forward to the week after, I was kind of biding me time. I said, all right, okay, I'll remember that. So forward to the week after, I walked in to do my lotto again after we beaten Barcelona. Did you see that? I said to him, you see that? One for the bad guys. <laughs> Got him up pretty rapidly. <laughs> so I didn't, he wasn't talking to me then after that. <laughs> excellent very that's good that's really good excellent and jack you wanted to you wanted to talk about uh say some things yeah no sorry there mate yeah it was just the contrast as well obviously the couple of months or the year after as well we'd gone through obviously having one goalkeeper disaster that night to then having i thought allison had it was did he get who got one after that night was it allison I'd, I had that many babies, I can't remember. Yeah, because yeah, he was phenomenal. Like, chalk and cheese, as I said, from the year prior to, to then, that's like, it wasn't, it, he makes hard saves look easy. That's how we, that's it. we all know how good Ali is. But yeah, it was just 
stark contrast to the, the season prior to seeing Allison perform like that. And he just relaxes the whole team. Um, really makes cool. Yeah, just one moment. Like that even Son had a couple of efforts as well. And and we know the Tottenham chances, but yeah, for me, Ali just reminiscent of things to things to really come and future years to come as well. We love him. I mean, long may he reign uh, in our goal because he's, yeah, he's an absolute genius proving it at the World Cup now. Um, I'm actually going to, I'm actually going to, I'm going to say we're going to just have a quick chat about what's going on now and then we'll continue a Jürgen retrospective in our next um, episode because we've still got some time before things kick off again. Uh, and it's just been so great talking about Jürgen with you, with you guys thank you so much but i want to have a quick chat about what's going on now not about world cup matches england versus france looks like it could be a great match because i don't want to really support this world cup as i said before in terms of the you know shocking things that have gone on with it but the story from a liverpool perspective that jude bellingham you know the rumors you know abound that he's he's liverpool he's on his way to liverpool um maybe not in January, but in the summer. Doug, I mean, he's brilliant, but let's assume that we get him and we can all celebrate. Of course we can. He's a mercurial talent. But is he going to solve? How many problems is he going to solve? Um, well, I think that we need at least two to three midfielders. Let me just be honest with that. Um but I think what Jude brings, uh, he will bring a lot of experience from obviously, you know, playing Champions League football with uh, Borussia Dortmund. Jude Bellingham is a generational talent. He's absolutely fantastic. He has been fantastic in this World Cup for England, it has to be said. Um, and I do think that when he comes, well, obviously, if he does, if he does come, then I think he will improve our midfield much, much better um, as well. And then, you know, I think we'll probably see a couple of midfielders go. I think Naby's out on his way out. I think Ox is going to be going. I think we're probably going to see probably Molnar probably go for uh, the, the very, very last time as well. Um, so I think there'll be a lot of players potentially going out, but I think there might be a few coming in. And I think I think Bellingham might be one of them. Um, maybe that Amrabat from uh, Fiorentina. He he looks a very very good player, uh, and maybe we might even get Saicedo. Who 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 knows? But he's not going to solve all of our problems. But what he will bring is a a a, a, a steeliness in that midfield. Yeah, brilliant answer. I, I totally I totally agree. I would say steeliness, but also guile and style and panache. He's nineteen. Uh, and he's freakishly good in the, I mean that in the best way possible, respect to him. Wow, what a player. But yeah, you mentioned Amrabat, Caicedo. About the ownership, Nigel, um, because, you know, it, it depends on who you listen to, but apparently there are several consortiums now interested. It looks like it could go on for a little while, This these negotiations. Um, but whoever we bring in, you know, I, are you looking forward to a future where we can invest in a, a Bellingham plus a Caicedo plus an Amrabat, etc.? Um, I'd like us to invest in players, but not be sports washed, if you understand what I'm saying. Um, I'm not sure it's possible at the moment because they seem to be trying to corner every market in every sport, in, every, in anything, not even sport. It's very, very worrying, <clears throat> I have to say. 
um, with the human rights thing and everything else. Um, I know a few people um, that that'll be it. If if these people take over at our club, that's it. Done. Um, I'm not sure. I'm really, it's, it's, I'm very up in the air with it at the moment. I'm not sure I could turn 100% away from our club if, if you, if, if you get my drift. It's just, I'm not sure. I'm really, really not sure. I just hope some other consortium comes in that will give us a foothold to get to get better players to get more players um we need i agree totally with doug i think we need three or four midfielders because we have tiago henderson uh fabinho uh and whoever else is there and they're all around the 30 mark 30 plus um we need to start looking like i, I think i think he's right uh i think nabby will go i think ox will go but we need uh 23 24 year olds to come in there 25, 26 year olds even. That, that, the guy, the Moroccan guy apparently is 26. Um, I'm not commenting commenting on the, the English guy, yes, because it ain't done. He's not our player. When he's our player, I'll talk about him. Um, other than that, like you said, uh, very, very worrying about this development. I don't know. I just don't know. I'll wait and see. Yeah, it's, it's something that is disturbing me as well. But I mean, you know, it's just there's so many layers to it jack um there's you know the fact that you know <clears throat> apparently it's a private um you know consortium a saudi qatari one that's got you know which you know on paper therefore has nothing to do with the state but i think that they probably do have something to do with the states to be honest and it's you know that for example the saudi state that uh executed 81 of its enemies uh with uh you know like capital punishment uh earlier this year um and it's something that i would find very hard I, i'm gonna cross that bridge if we come to it and when we come to it but i'd find it very hard to square it with my conscience to to you know it's like similar to watching this world cup in a way i've watched a few matches i reckon maybe in the future i'll watch a few liverpool matches but i can't enjoy this world cup you know in the past um i would take 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 days off work skive off to watch you know world cup matches but i can't i can't get enthusiastic because people have actually died so that this tournament can go ahead and it's it's sick that not enough people are talking about it but still i've watched a few matches because i'm a i'm a huge football fan and but everything is like tainted under this cloud for me personally and i don't want that to happen to our club jack i just don't like uh mm. you know we've been owned by americans who are not linked to the American government. I have a lot of problems with the American government as well, as I do the British government. We were never owned by the British government. I don't want a government taken over, taken over us. Then most of them are, you know, represent things that are so far from Liverpool values. Would you, would you, how are you feeling about any kind of takeover, Jack? It's, I'd agree with Nigel and from, my mates, quite a lot of them go to ground, season ticket holders, and there, there is then a come a, a, a precipice really in terms of a moment in if if, they, if whoever does take it, if it is. Um, but it's for me the way I look at it, mate, is and I'm going to be the same like a lot of people. It's Liverpool's going to mean so much to every single one of us, um, and it's. For me, the way I look at it, not just in terms of the Premier League, but over the last 20 years since Sky 
got introduced. I think if Liverpool were to get taken over by whoever that has a lot of money, um, the pyramids within football in England, like not just in Liverpool, but every city up and down the whole of the UK, even Scotland, Ireland, and, and everywhere, really, football plays such a, a massive part in British culture and like the livelihoods of a lot of people, millions of people up and down the UK, and the corruption within FIFA, corruption with UEFA and I'm pretty sure if you go down some corridors there's quite a lot of corruption within every organisation within football and a lot of sports um, it's if Liverpool were to go in that direction it would very much signal the end everyone stood by and watched Daddy Football Club disappear yes but the way I look at it is the, there's, there's much more and the fact that a lot of everyone come together in condemning the Super League even the club fans of the top six clubs that did jump in bed with that organisation what it opens up a bigger picture but everyone was happy not just City but Man United and Liverpool and and certain clubs over the last 20, 30 year period where we've been taken over by these billionaires, trillionaires, whatever. It's it's a much bigger question than just Liverpool getting taken over, mate, the way I look at this. It's Liverpool, uh, football in England, most importantly for me, the way I've looked at it is, it's always year on year, it's always been stepping away from the bare fabrics and the fundamentals of what makes football, football, the fans. Give it another 20, 30 years. If you're not buying a five grand executive box these owners really won't care if you're not buying the merchandise you won't care like because there will be always someone out there that will buy the merchandise or the tickets or whatnot um it's very americanized as we all know um football has been and it will very much be sports sports wash but for me until there's correct regulations and that's the right thing regulation in football not just for my club liverpool because we're in the premier league but i mean for like the league two league one the bottom tiers because you're getting owners coming into football clubs and you haven't got a scooby-doo like they're, they're just spending it on wages and all that and it's people's livelihoods people that work behind the kiosks that work in the stands work outside anfield the, the kits like sell the badges and everything it's you're not just buying they're not just buying the football club they're buying the people and the, the, the people that make Liverpool Football Club and people around the world as well. I think the way in which football is, of course, Liverpool is a multi-billion bloody billion company and there's loads of fans around the world as well. But I think all together, it's, I, I just, my head rolls off when you, you, you can't have a, a proper debate on Twitter. But this is why I love podcasts and you can debate. And, and uh, But for me, it, it would take a lot of because I've spent the last since City have been taken over, I'd probably contradict myself the amount of podcasts I've done and said, "Oh yeah, you're backed by a state and all that." But it'd feel wrong for me, and I'd probably die on that hill really. In terms of, I'd, I'd still be saying exactly the same, and I, I'd agree with Nigel with and a lot of people out there that people would step away, and I'd have to very much reevaluate. And oh my god, that's drastic. But it's it's what Liverpool Football Club, not just for the people of Liverpool, but for the people around the world. Liverpool is home, as I said, with Jurgen Klopp. Liverpool is what people look forward to at the end of the weekend in, in Everton. And uh, yeah, so sorry for the long-winded answer, mate. But yeah, it was not a, at all. It really. Yeah, there's a lot of facets really to the issue if it if it did arise. So, there are. No, you're absolutely right, and. It's not plastic at all. It's the opposite. It's very genuine because, you know, what What? What City and Chelsea don't know is success that hasn't been just bought. Um, you know, you could even you could throw in Man United into that argument, really. Ferguson just bought the best players for the most expensive prices a lot of the time. Um, but at least they did it in the right way in terms of they built up their own club and they know 
you know, success as in success that they've built as opposed to bought. Doug, where do you stand on it? It's a complicated issue, this ownership thing. It is. Um, it is a complicated issue. Um, I've I've been one of these ones that I, I would never, ever, ever want to be state-owned. Um, I never want to be going down that road. I never want to be... <laughs> um, I never want to be sort of being basically like Newcastle, I mean, like it was a state owned by obviously like the Saudis, etc. But um, I think we're coming to a stage now where the FA are going to have to bring in this uh, proper, um, like fit, fit and proper to own a football club. They need to bring that in because how the Glazers got Manchester United in 2005, right? Did they go through any tests? Like, I'm, I'm not too sure if they did or not. Todd Bowley. I'd imagine he would have probably had to go through some tests. FSG potentially may have had to go through some through some tests as well. And I agree with what Knight says as well that you know they tried to trademark um, Liverpool, which is a big, big wrong, wrong one to 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 do anyway. But as much as they have their flaws, FSG, they have had some big successes as well. Um, so it does put us in a very tricky position. Um, I don't accept what's happened in Qatar or anywhere, anywhere, but for that fact, for like human right, rights, etc. Um, it is a very, very hard position to be in. Uh, but I think as well, I think we're at a stage now. It's just sort of the sign of the times, almost that you're gonna get overtaken by at least one of these consortiums, probably. Um, but actually, when I look at it, I'm still I'm still not 100% convinced that FSG actually want to sell for good. I still think they, they want to have at least a piece of the jigsaw. I think Redbird came out and said that they want a piece of the jigsaw as well. So I'm going to say this now. I am still not convinced FSG are wanting to sell the club for good. I think they, I think they still want to have at least a piece of it. I think they're wanting a, a shareholder, maybe like an investor to come in, but I don't think they want to let go what they have they have had. Remember, they bought us for three hundred million pounds. How many? How much did they probably triple by Liverpool? Probably twelve times. You know, we're probably worth about four point five billion now when we were at least three hundred million and almost potentially going out of business. You know, when Martin Broughton bought us and you know FSG bought us, so. I'm still I'm still not convinced FSG actually want to sell us properly. Yeah, um, and that would be a lot easier to accept as long as you know the investors are not, you know, a backhanded way of being uh, a state-owned, you know, basically entity for their propaganda. Um, it's been really interesting. It's uh, we're we're ending on a very philosophical note. Um, I do know that one of the consortiums. Well, I know. I've heard that one of the consortiums is 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 a German one, and um, Jurgen Klopp is German. That's my link uh, to the rest of the show before. Uh, and uh, it was so much fun talking about Jurgen with you guys. Uh, Doug from the Dugout Football Channel. Check it out on YouTube. Also is Jack's channel, um, Anfield Road TV on YouTube. Um, you can everybody check it out check check them both out anfield road tv and the dugout football channel absolutely wonderful both of them and nigel as well thank you so much always a pleasure talking to you guys um and to everyone listening you know let us know your comments cop on podcast at gmail.com 
um, you know, go and see Jürgen, the first part of the Anfield Raps. Amazing documentary. Have you seen it, Nigel or Jack? Jürgen? No, Nigel shaking his head. Yeah, but you've got to. Have you seen it, Jack? Yeah, yeah. Yeah, well, I'm going to have to uh, get a full subscription for the year anyway. Yes, exactly. Exactly. If anyone's listening from the Anfield Raps, I should really be subscribed. Yeah, um, it's fantastic. Amazing content, as always. And no, it really is amazing. And, you know, it's got me like hook, line and sinker, you know, absolutely brilliant. Uh, Take care, everyone. We'll speak to you soon. Um, You'll never walk alone. Thank you.